on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We give you the things we're looking for in OUSMU and preview the matchup with the voice of the ponies, Rich Phillips. We also preview the best games of week two of college football and give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. beautiful Wednesday, September 6th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of September, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. A little more exciting matchup this week, Ted. Going to be a fun one. This is this is a nice challenge. Um, you know, whenever you look at it, look at the schedule and kind of project what, what things are going to look like, SMU, they got a chance. This has a chance to be one of the better offenses we face this season. I agree and with that. All right. We, we got a lot to cover, man. Yeah. We got a lot to cover, so let's dive straight in. You had Venables' coach's show on Monday night. Anything he said that really stood out to you? Um, not, not really. I, I think um, I'm not sure like how some of the rotations are going to go. I think there's still going to be some position battles that are going on out there that are that are interesting. I, all in all, it seems like they felt pretty good about the way everything went down and. You know, sometimes it feels good and you come in, you talk to the coach a couple of days later, and it's like, man, we, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we really got to get better at. And there obviously are, but I think they're pretty pleased with where they're at. And, you know, this this is just, I know there's a lot of history there with Venables and Lashley. So I'm I'm kind of, I'm fascinated by the the chess match that's going on right now um, between the two and and what what these what their offense and what our defense are going to look like. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into the matchup. Things we are watching for in OUSMU. Ted, let's start on the defensive side of the ball for the Sooners. What are you watching for? What what are you looking for for OU's defense and SMU's offense? Here's what's interesting. You know. I just talking about how good SMU's offense is going to be. 
we saw last year that, you know, we were a, a four-man front for the first couple of games. And then whenever we went to Nebraska, we busted out an entirely new defense that we hadn't seen. I don't think maybe a handful of snaps leading up to that, but I honestly don't remember seeing any. And then we come out in a three-man front and some exotic stuff on the back end, a lot of blitzes, and really got after Nebraska. And I'm curious to see how that goes this year. A lot of four-man front in, in game one, almost all of it except for one snap. And on that one snap, we had Justin Harrington and uh, McCullough out there together in in a dime package, which I know SMU saw that. It was like, what in the hell are they going to do out of this thing? All right, because you got some you got some bodies out there that you typically don't see. So I'm curious to see how that part of it goes. But as far as SMU, I, I think the strength of their offense, they've got good skill guys. So I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about the skill guys. I think there's some really good talent there, running back, deep, wide receiver pretty deep. But I think the offensive line is kind of where this thing starts. It seems like a, a smart group, communicate well. Um, I think the interior is what really stands out, and I'd like to get your opinion on that. Um, the tackles, I think, are solid, better in pass pro than they are. They're kind of stiff, big guys that don't don't seem to move great. But um, I think that that offensive line is going to be really the biggest test. Coming into the game, I was I was really worried about, you know, the wide receivers against our secondary and, you know, because there was some stuff, there were some opportunities for Arkansas State to push the ball down the field on us and they couldn't do it, um, you know, but we blitzed almost every single snap in that game. So there's there's a lot of green grass out there our, our secondary was covering, but I I feel better about the skill position matchup today than I did a couple of days ago, but I'm a little bit more concerned about the matchup on the line of scrimmage. If this is going to be a legitimately good test for our D-line. I, I completely agree. Now, when I watched their game against Louisiana Tech, I, and maybe you disagree, but I none of the skill guys really jumped off the tape to me and made me go, wow. Okay. Yeah. I now and I was surprised by that, honestly. I, I was as well. Right? I expected to see like burners at wide receiver. Now, you look at the size, the weight, and they're extremely productive in that football game, right? These guys aren't slappies. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, if, if you are not dialed in, if you're Oklahoma secondary, they will undoubtedly run by you. Right. But neither of the backs jumped off the tape to me. But I think you're right, man. I, I think the group that really stood out to me where I was like, man, they are rock solid is the offensive line, especially the interior of the offensive line. I love their center. I do too. I texted you about him. I was like, this dude, he's got all the old vet moves. He's He's got a bag of tricks now. He's always in the right place, smart. They work well together, man. Yeah, and he's he's played a lot of football for him, right? So – the bottom line for me, when you look at what SMU wants to do offensively, OU's defensive line is going to have to get off blocks. There, there's only so much you you can do with how they're going to spread you out defensively, right? You can only commit so much to the box. 
and it's going to be guys winning their one-on-ones. Like the guy that is going to have to eat the double team, right? You got to hold up, right? You can't get moved off the football. It's the other guys that are going to have one-on-ones, and I'm talking run game, not not pass rush, run game. You have to win those. We talk about winning one-on-ones as a defensive lineman, and people always think it's pass rush. No, no, no. When your buddy is getting zone double teamed and you got the tackle one-on-one, you got to win. Yep. You got to win. So that's where I I don't think it's overly complicated, man. They got to they got to play with great technique along the line of scrimmage, get off some blocks, and make some plays along this D, along the D line. I think yep. that's the key to the game. I I do too. I I totally agree. Um, you know, just some of uh, some of the things that you know, from, from the game against Louisiana Tech. Now, you and I talked, and we, we both agree, really vanilla. Really vanilla from SMU. So, I I know we're going to get some more stuff from them. But, you know, I this is bread and butter stuff. You still typically are going to see a lot of bread and butter stuff. Personnel groupings, interesting personnel groupings. Um, you're going to get 11, uh, you know, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. They'll do that. They'll run 10 personnel with no tight end in there and four wide receivers and, and a back. But what's interesting is you're going to get true base, true 21 out of SMU. They've got a fullback 44, old school, uh, neck roll, wearing a 44 fullback number. He's going to be yeah. in there. Uh, they'll run 20 personnel with uh, a running back, a fullback, no tight end in the game, and three wide receivers. So some interesting – like it's it's weird to say that those are weird personnel groupings that you but you don't see a whole lot of true base anymore um so i I thought that was interesting they'll run some outside zone um they'll run that out of out of the 21 personnel with the full back in they like to run it away from him he'll start as a wing they'll run outside zone away they'll even go tackle over and the fullback will be on the line as what would appear to be the tackle, but it's unbalanced. And they'll run outside zone to the to the unbalanced side, which is interesting. Um, they'll run split zone. They'll run split zone where the fullback goes to the tight end side, which is a stupid ass play. Always has been, uh, but they'll <laughs> run that uh, in the in the passing. Oh, little bit of um, power O too, uh, yeah. traditional power O. And that was one of their more explosive plays early in the game is a really good double, horrible fit by Louisiana Tech. Backer takes the run through, and the safety's got to come all the way across. But that one gets out the gate, and they blocked it up good. Um, The guard pulling around wasn't great, but, you know, pretty solid, and they got good push there. So that was interesting to see. Uh, In the passing game, not a whole lot of variety, honestly. You'll get a lot of the bubble stuff. And I was shocked. I didn't think the tight end Maryland, I don't think he's a very good blocker. I don't think he's very good in the in the box and out on the perimeter. I don't know if he's stiff or maybe is a little unsure, but I I didn't I didn't come away just wild but with what they looked like on the perimeter blocking up defensive backs. Yeah. The Maryland eighty two, I think he's out there to catch passes. Yeah. Right, he is. He's a good-looking athlete, right? There, there's no doubt. Still a young player, but what did you, 
you know, there, there's a nice variety in the run game. What, what do you think of the QB? What do you think of Stone? I think he's okay. He's, he's pretty athletic. I think he, he seems to be smart with the football. He, he was willing to push it down the field whenever, even whenever he had tight coverage, try and let his guys go make a play. There was a couple scrambles where he looked, you know, he looked good moving around, but I I don't think it's anyone that you, you start to screw with your run fits to worry about him keeping the ball on you. Um, you know, I, I think he's, it's like, we'll play it true and then we'll rally to the quarterback. It's not, let's try and reinvent what we do because we're so worried about him carrying the football. I don't think that's the case. Um, I, okay. Pocket presence. And I think a lot of that stems from him really trusting that offensive line, which is, you know, key for him to really, he stays in there, keeps his eyes downfield. Uh, and that, that comes from trusting that offensive line. I, I wasn't blown away, but you know, didn't see a whole lot of, like I said, variety in the passing game. They ran like 95, the, you know, number three coming across and trying to hit a dig on the backside of that. Um, you know, they, they take offs, fades, they'll throw those quite a bit. They try and work some digs in the middle of the field, clear guys out and run digs in a handful of boot plays, but you know, nothing, nothing. It, it wasn't like super impressive on the boot. You know, I did see him run the, you know, the illegal wide receiver drag screen where he comes and he comes back on the other side of the the line of scrimmage. Everyone has that play in. They do too. Um, I just, I, I think they're a good offense and I still believe they're going to be one of the better offenses that we face. But the more I've watched it, the better I think our defense is going to perform. I, it kind of scares me that we both are on the same page with that. I, I don't know. like that. I agree. But can't be scared, right? Can't be scared. Right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having confidence. I, I do think, like, just when you think about what the box score is going to look like at the end of the game, right? I do think that if you have, like, if Stone is thrown, had to throw the ball like 45 times, I think you're going to see a comfortable win for Oklahoma. Yeah. I, agree. I I don't think that's going to be the recipe for them to come into Norman and to give the Sooners the game. If they if they can lean on the run game and that offensive line, right? Now, they want to play with tempo, but that, that's what that offense does. But I, I do wonder if Lashley looks at it and goes, okay, if we can run it, maybe we need to think about when we want to go fast and when we want to dial it back, right? But if you force if you force them to be a one-dimensional offense with what i've seen from preston stone he's not the type of guy that's just going to pick you apart in fact he's you go back and look at that louisiana tech game he just kind of throws a couple up right like hey guys go make plays i agree and so I, there's going to be there's going to be some opportunities for oklahoma secondary to go and get the football but yeah i think if you if you can limit that run game, then you're feeling really good about where you're going to be defensively. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I like the offensive line, but Louisiana Tech was not very talented. And from what I saw, the majority of the time, they were in the ex same exact front, just running like an over front. And OU's going to throw over 
They're going to throw bear at you. They're going to be in, you know, straight up three man odd stuff. They're going to be blitzing from all kinds of different angles and, and bringing corners off the, you know, from the boundary. There's, they're going to throw a lot more mentally at those guys and physically they're, they're dealing with a different level of football player. Right. I don't, I, the tackles are, they're huge, right? They're both like six, eight, six, nine, over 320 pounds. I, I will be very surprised if OU can't get home on stone against those tackles. Right now, you got to force them into those drop back passing situations, right? But I, I'm thinking guys like Trace Ford, you know, our Mason Thomas is supposed to be back out there. Guys that have great get offs that twitch, these are big. The, the best word I could come up with is lumbering tackles. They're not bad. They're not bad football players. They're just not athletic guys. Right, they don't move particularly well. So those guys for Oklahoma off the edge that have a little more twitch, I think they can get home as pass rushers. Or I'll, I'll be really surprised and honestly a little disappointed if they can't. Yeah. Well, and you know, I we we got to take advantage of matchups whenever we get them. I did see your favorite protection. They went full slide and brought, what, the tight end all the way back across the uh, formation to block the end guy, which happened to be, I think, a, a blitzer on that one. But, you know, if we get opportunities against tight ends, against fullbacks, who I think we're going to, we got to win those battles. I Like the full the fullback, I mean, he's a thumper. He's a straight straight line guy. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that he's – I mean, he's a willing blocker, but he's not a guy that you're worried about physically – and he's pretty stiff whenever he's in pass pro. So, like, we got to win those matchups. Should we just, if you are, if you're an edge guy for OU and you get singled, like, if you get pass blocked one on one by a tight end or a fullback, I feel like there just needs to be a section of the podcast where we make fun of you quickly. Yeah. That we, seems fair. Like, if you were an edge guy for Oklahoma, you should not be getting pass broed by a tight end or a fullback. No. Every now and then there's a tight end comes around and I, we're not going to see any, but every now and then a tight end comes around. And it's like, okay, that guy doesn't technically count. Yeah. Like Rob end. Gronkowski. Okay. Gronkowski Fair enough. Or uh, uh, Mercedes Lewis. Like, yeah. He could pass pro. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll acknowledge the exceptions, but I feel like that's a pretty good blanket rule. We can just apply. We need a dunce hat or something that we put on whenever we're talking about it. Yeah. Oh, uh, anything else? OU's defense, SMU's offense. I, that's it, and I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about the way I think our defense should play against these guys. I mean, we're, I, it's going to be a nice test on the offensive line. They're far better than what we saw in Arkansas State, but I still think that we should have an uh, an edge everywhere else. Everywhere else, and if we're going to be the team that we want to be, we should end up having an edge on the line of scrimmage, even against uh, this good offensive line. I'm with you. All right, let's talk about things to watch for for OU's offense against SMU's defense. They're coached by a former Sooner, so I'm not surprised. Interior defensive line is well coached, man. Mm -hmm. They play with good pad level, good hand placement. If OU's offensive line wants to get movement, they have to play with low pads and good technique. I think their starting defensive tackles are rock solid. 
Now, Elijah Chapman, 40. He is a little ball of muscle, man. He's not a tall guy. I don't think he's an overly athletic guy, but I know this. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. That dude is strong as all hell. 225, 47 reps, Ted. Wow. So you're not going to win in a strength off with this guy. So what do you have to do, man? You got to play with great power level. You got to get underneath him, even though he's a shorter dude. But if you allow this guy to play underneath your pads, you are going backwards because he is strong as all hell. Okay. That's just it. And then the guy I like the most is six Jordan Miller, right? Miami transfer big moves. Well, really takes on double teams. Well, like, you know, almost little drop knee technique where the knee is half an inch off the ground and he's straining, straining and not getting moved. I really liked what I saw from him in their opener, but I I think this is the key, right? There is a significant drop off from what I see from that first group of defensive linemen they have and their second group. So I wouldn't be surprised when they have to sub. I could see Levy saying, okay, let's keep those guys out there. Let's keep that second line out there. Let's go fast and not let them sub. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on. But some of the stuff Savion Berg got away with last week, he's not going to get away with against this starting group for for SMU. He's just not. So the technique, the physicality, like it's got to be, it's got to be taken to another level. Because I'm telling you, man, this first group, this starting group for SMU along the defensive front, these guys can play. They can play. Did they throw any? exotic fronts or anything out there so uh no it was about as vanilla as you can see but ted you know i went and watched like four games from a year ago come on mm-hmm. you're you're gonna see some different fronts and you're gonna have to apply it to the offensive lines communication in the run game and the pass game right and the old line and the running backs you're gonna have to communicate in the pass game like hey where are you guys working who do i have and you're, you're, I think they're going to get a lot of different looks. Now, last week against La Tech, you're talking your traditional 4-2-5 clean picture type of situation. But going back last year, you know, I watched Tulane. I watched Memphis. Even watched they played TCU last year. Watched that game as well. You're going to get an overload front, right? Meaning three defensive linemen on one side of the ball with the defensive end on the opposite edge. You got to communicate, Right. It may look weird, but that's four down. That's four down in pass protection. Yeah. You got to communicate that to the back in pass pro. Now, they will jump into it. You'll love this. It's kind of like an old school under front, right? We're talking shade five, nine, backside three, but there's no backside five. They play their nickel off the ball like as an apex player, and he's got the responsibilities, like the old school responsibilities the five technique would have. It's interesting. Oh, well, I'd make him earn it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's one of my things to watch. But yeah. you're you're gonna see, I'm sure they've got they've got some three man stuff in the repertoire, like everyone does at this point. But what they showed quite a few times last year is you got four down, but you got five up. You got a backer mugged up, whether it's over a guard, over a center. How are you gonna treat that guy in pass protection? Right? Does he become a down guy? Are they baiting you, right, to try to get a matchup on the back? 
they'll even go six up, right? Are you going to slide protect that stuff? Are you going to, is, does the quarterback know, Hey, if this guy comes, I got to get the ball out of my hand. Like there's going to be communication that is absolutely crucial. No secrets out there, gentlemen. Communicate it and let's roll. So yeah, no, you're gonna you're gonna need to see you're you're gonna see a lot a lot more than what you saw a week ago from a front and movement standpoint. They did a lot of stuff last year where they'll stem right before the snap. Right, it, it kind of reminded me of some of the stuff Grinch would do. Right, right before you're about to snap it, they're gonna stem. You got to be disciplined. You got to hold your water. Can't flinch. That stuff, they're they're gonna unload the clip defensively, if I had to guess. But yeah, man, they got they got a little bit of everything that I'm anticipating them doing on Saturday. Yeah. I expect the like the tempo to probably go um super fast to start drives. And if they can get a first down, they'll keep pushing, but they get five or six plays in. I expect them to change personnel, let the defense uh, match, get the big guys out, and then they're going to hit the brakes. And they're going to go slow. They're not going to change personnel. They're going to stay in the same grouping and probably grind on that second-team defensive line. Um, yeah. You know, try and try and really manipulate the personnel out there on the field and wear the, wear the good guys out with lateral stuff. And when they get out, here we come right at you with, uh, against the backups. I love that plan. Now, a couple other things I'm looking at. They play with corner-type bodies at their nickel spot, right? Both guys about 185 pounds. And, you know, number one, Brandon Crossley. Number 22, Kale Sanders. Those are the guys that I saw in the Louisiana Tech game. So how do we get those guys in the run fit? Right? How do we formate things, whether it's 12 personnel, you know, how are they going to line up to that? Are they going to bring the nickel into the fit, or does that bring a safety into the fit? You probably like your chances either way. Now, last week, we saw OU do some tackle over. Right, You call it unbalanced, I call it tackle over. Right, Walter Rouse went from his left tackle spot and went and played what is the right tight end spot next to Guyton. And Stogner was in the backside left tackle spot. How are they going to line up to that? Right. I, I would assume that Oklahoma's got quite a bit out of that. Right. And if they give you some angles and some matchups you really like, I think you could see quite a bit of that. But it, it all comes down to how can you pull that nickel, who is a corner body, how can you pull him into the core and make his life miserable in the run game? Yeah. I, Levy's smart enough to figure it out. So I'm I'm interested to see. And may, maybe they avoid that somehow, right? But if you're going to play a corner at nickel, I'm going to make you tackle. I'm going to make you take on blocks and tackle. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that is interesting. And, and it, first of all, in the run game, find a way to take advantage of it. And the way our receivers blocked and some of the size that we have out there, if you're undersized at the nickel spot, like that's what makes it so difficult 
for an offense against our defense to throw some of those bubbles is because we have such great length at the cheetah position, whether it's McCullough or Harrington, uh, it's hard for those DBs to block guys that are six foot three uh, and above. Uh, you flip that around. It's easy for a six foot four Nick Anderson, who I thought blocked his ass off in week one. Yeah. To, to block a smaller, shorter 185 pound guy. So that's something that I think we probably take advantage of too. Yeah, no, I agree now. And this is a little in the weeds, but, one thing I'll be looking at is how does SMU play the first puller on all the counter stuff, right? Especially when they run it to the open side, meaning just to a tackle surface, no tight end over there. Because we saw something interesting in the Arkansas State game. They they just sprinted to the mesh point when they felt down block from the front side tackle. And... There are a couple times where Matoyer, Bert, like they didn't touch the defensive end at all, and it really, it really disrupted the timing of the play. Mm-hmm. So, is that something SMU sees and goes, "Huh, it's not a bad idea," right? Because, I mean, the tackle variation or the counter variations, like that's that's a bread and butter for this team, yeah. along with the what Levy calls tight zone variations. So. I'm interested to see how they play that and if they can disrupt the timing of the play like Arkansas State did. Now, if I'm picking one of the ends to run counter at, I'm running it at number nine, Nelson Paul. And it's it's really nothing against him. It's just Elijah Roberts, the other defensive end. Dude, that dude is huge. <laughs> He's yeah. like 280. So I'm running it the 230-pound guy. You know, two, He's like 235. So I think... I think we'll see how willing number nine is to take on pullers, right? And he's usually the defensive end into the boundary. So you may see quite a quite a few runs called into the boundary, right? To try to get that matchup. But yeah, let's test, let's test his durability, shall we? Hey, I I got no problem with that. And um we gotta have someone that can go test the big guy too, you know. Um yeah. oh yeah. I, I don't know how I, I felt good about the tight ends coming out of week one. Um, going to be a little bit different test blocking for those guys. And I, Hey, I, I was happy with what I saw. Hopefully they continue that. Yeah. There are going to be some collisions on the split zone stuff. Good. I like yeah. it. You're, you're going to love it. Now, another thing at Ken OU's wide receivers win. Going back and watching their defense from a year ago. And I would anticipate them playing some more too high stuff than we saw uh, than we saw them play in their opener against Louisiana Tech. But I think they feel really good about their speed in the back end, right? And I and, and we'll see how the game progresses. But you know everything OU wants to do it's you know it's all about establishing that run game. And we saw this at the end of last season. Remember. How much one cover one and zero did teams play against Oklahoma because they weren't, they didn't feel threatened by the speed at wide receiver. You've got it. The Sooners have to make them pay if they're going to do that stuff. And and it goes back to, Hey, who can run by guys and SMU's got speed in the back end who can run by guys. And then can Dylan Gabriel deliver accurate footballs when they get the opportunities. I, I, well, I, you know, you would think that 
um, the way they threw it up to Jaden Gibson a couple of times. Yeah. It's going to really worry some teams that want to do that. I, I think you, you got to keep taking advantage of that. People are going to go one-on-one with just a go zero or, or just a guy in the middle, just a cover one on you, throw it up, go over the top, expose some of those guys with our size. I mean, you, you got to find a way to get them out of it. It'll stay there forever and, and make life hell on you in the running game. Yeah. Couple other things, running backs got to be good in pass protection. They're going to get tested going back and watching last year. Lots of internal pressure, lots of different linebacker blitzes. Got to sort it all out. You got to be rock solid right now. They'll have some just gap pro stuff to simplify that where the running back will just fit off the edge. Right. And you'll, you'll put the responsibility on the offensive line, but those linebackers are coming. That, that was, that was really what they liked to do last year from a blitz perspective. So that's something to watch. I think it's going to be a fun matchup to watch between SMU's ends and OU's tackles. Like this is going to be a much bigger test for Rouse and Guyton. Right. And then twist game communication. A lot of three game, three man twist games, right? In obvious passing situations. You you just have to pass it all off. You have to anticipate it. You got to know what's coming. You got to pass it all off, right? And you gotta you gotta keep the pocket clean. So I'm excited because I do think that this is this is a much better challenge and it's gonna be a much better gauge of where this offense is at. Yeah, no, I agree. Um both sides of the ball are gonna be a much better challenge than week one. Uh but still still really like how we match up against these guys after looking at it and I I, I was I, I thought that okay, this could this one could be a little more interesting because of the matchup and, but gosh, if, as long as we are smart with the football, we don't penalize ourselves. We take advantage of the big play opportunities that I know we're going to have. We tackle well. I, I think we should be able to, to, to handle these guys pretty good and look pretty good, but it is going to be a nice test. I'm looking forward to it. I'm with you. All right, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys for the number one thing. You'll be watching for in this football game. Uh, this first one comes from at Tom W. Bay, who says, How will the defense respond after giving up a big play? Will they put it behind them or will they let it linger? That's a good point, right? We didn't really see much of that last week, right? Didn't give up a score. And that was something last season, Ted, where especially late in the year, it felt like once thing if things went wrong like they had some trouble putting the train back on the tracks yeah no i i that's right um i think you got to watch out for the first couple of drives of the game that's whenever you're if you're going to see new stuff a lot of times they throw it at you they throw some tempo out there you know it it can be a bit of a scramble drill trying to figure out what we're going to do defensively and how we're going to line up to some of these formations you'll see the most like shifts and exotic formations early in the game to really mess with you. And if we can get through that phase and not get frazzled mentally by giving up a couple of big plays, and then we're coming to the sideline, like, Oh my God. And we just forget everything that we've learned. Um, If we can get through that part of the game, I think we'll be okay. But yeah, I mean, that's, 
that's the one thing we've seen in it's the oh my god here we go again mentality and everyone starts to maybe do try to do their job and a little bit of their buddy's job too and you end up getting exposed for a bunch of explosive plays in a bunch of different areas so hopefully that doesn't happen i'm with you all right this other one comes from tag giles at sooner tag he's looking at the run game even though we were successful last week there wasn't too many longer runs and no qb keepers were very little yeah i think that and this is something you know we had levy on coach's corner on a monday and he basically said, hey, like we the running backs, we got to win some more of those one-on-one situations. And it'll be interesting to see if they can, especially we'll see if Gavin Sawchuk, right? It sounds like he's going to be cleared to play in this game. And he is a guy that they view really as a guy, the home run threat, right? So we'll see. But yeah, all of these backs, yeah, you're gonna you got to make some of these free hitters miss for SMU. Right now, I I would love if the offensive line could create a little more space for those guys to operate within. But yeah, the the run game, you need those explosives, man. It just it makes life so much easier for you as an offense, and it is it just deflates a defense if you're ripping off chunk runs like that. So I am, uh, I, I'm definitely uh, I'm with him. I'm with our man Sooner Tag. I. I I can't wait to see if they can produce some more explosives in the run game. Yeah. I it really does drive a wedge through like the uh the defense mentally. I in the past you give up a big passing play. Okay, well, you know, we gotta be better in the rush and coverage has to be tighter. But whenever you're gashing people in the running game, the D line starts to turn around and get mad at the backers. Like, why aren't you in your gaps? The backers are saying, why you guys get peeled out up front? And like, everyone starts to point fingers at one another. Cause it's not so clear. Like what exactly is happening. And I, it, it could chew the mentality of a defense up in a hurry for sure. Yeah. All right. Birthday shout outs. Happy third birthday to Wright Nichols. Happy fourth birthday to Colt Haynes. Happy 16th birthday to Blake Hudkins. Happy 31st birthday to Jeremy Rodman. Happy birthday to Marcus Refi. Happy 40th birthday to Friend X. Friend X. How about that? Sure. Like and happy birthday to Teddy Lehman superfan, Jan Hay. <laughs> happy birthday, Jan. There you go, Jan. All right, let's learn a little more about the SMU ponies from the voice of the ponies, Rich Phillips. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon. Across the country, the Love's Connect app unlocks exclusive deals and can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Love's Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Love's Travel Stops. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone, charger, or headphones with their expanded mobile-to-go zone. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Amore. It's hunting time in Oklahoma. Oh, that's... And if you're looking to buy hunting property, the land doctors can help you find the ideal ranch. 
They build custom hunting lodges and lakes and can turn Oklahoma's raw land into your personal playground. If you'd like to sell some land or just simply want to add to your portfolio, then call Colton Cole at 405-615-7645 or visit LandDoctors.com. And celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coop Aleworks. Named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across Owen Field after an OU score, you can join in on the celebration with an ice-cold beer from Coop Aleworks. You can enjoy it at the Palace on the Prairie, at OU Athletics events, at the bar, at the tailgate, and in the comfort of your own home. For more information on Schooner All-American Ale, visit SchoonerAle.com. Must be 21 to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Schooner All-American Ale, the taste of game day. All right, here's Rich Phillips. It is our pleasure to be joined by the voice of the ponies. What a title. Rich Phillips is in the house. How are we doing, Rich? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing great, man. Excited, excited for a better test for both of these football teams coming up on Saturday. And before we dive into, you know, SMU's roster, what they got offensively and defensively, did want to hit this real quick. How fired up is everyone about the ACC news around there? Like, how big of a deal is it? Uh, it's absolutely the biggest news for the athletic program since they got the death penalty in 1987. And, and finally, the right news. Uh, you know, shortly after that, when they came back to play, 96, the Southwest Conference disbands, and it's just been kind of bouncing around from conference to conference along the way, getting a little better each time from the WAC to Conference USA to the American, but nothing compares to this uh, being in one of the top four conferences for sure in the country starting next year. Likes of Florida State and Clemson, Duke and North Carolina and basketball. It is massive news and uh, really reverberated throughout the SMU community Friday morning. Just uh, if you could quickly kind of paint the picture how it's all going to work. I know they, they had to take some concessions there to get in at least for a while. I, what is that going to look like, and, and what are they going to do to kind of bridge the gap, um, you know, financially until they get a full share? Yeah, they didn't really confirm everything, but obviously the reports are they're going to give up TV money for anywhere from seven to nine years. And they went into this knowing it, and they've got financial boosters that are ready for it. They've got people that are going to fill the gap with donations to the program and donations to be at that ACC level, not at the American Athletic Conference, but the ACC level, which TV revenues, 30 plus million dollars a year. The word I've been given is, yeah, they have donors that are ready to do that and to allow them to be on an even footing with the rest of the conference, which obviously, you know, there's not a lot of schools, I think, that can come up with donors that are willing to do that. And it's made it uh, one of the biggest stories, really, in the whole realignment this cycle through. I, that's such a power move. Like, hey, we got it, guys. <laughs> We got it. Uh, you really don't have much of a choice, right? It's either find a way to pony up or get left behind. So, yeah. 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 And, right, and you know, most of this realignment cycle has just been schools moving, you know, from one power five to the next, like the Pac-12 folks going to the Big 12, going to the the uh, the Big 10. But this was the rare case of the group of five schools that's going to be able to make the move up now. Yeah. No, that's uh, it's impressive that those donors are stepping up in that way. All right, let's talk about this football team. Year two for Rhett Lashley, right? Taking over. What what are the overall expect expectations this season 
for SMU? Kind of what what's the vibe around the program? Uh, expectations are really high this year in the American Conference for them. Uh, this is one of the more talented teams that that I've seen here in 23 years working with the program. Uh, starts a quarterback with a a guy who's a first year starter now, but been the highest rated recruit. Preston Stone was the highest rated recruit coming in ever to the SMU program. Uh, high expectations, kind of got a little bit of a gift on the scheduling front because the other two best teams in the American that both won conference championships last year, Tulane in the American and UTSA in Conference USA, they're not on the SMU schedule this year. So that helps them a little bit there too. But yeah, there's a lot of excitement and high expectations, I think, for this season. How is, I know we're going back a little bit, but how is the, the kind of the transition gone? Um, we know been a change at head coach now what going back uh two years but it seems like there's some of the similarities in the program hung around there were some lingerings there of, of Sonny Dykes but obviously Lashley's got his own spin on things so how's that whole transition worked as bad as it ended <laughs> with yeah. Sonny leaving and going to the arch rival at TCU no less it's been a tremendously smooth transition and and Rhett Lashley's the key why he was here the first two years with Sonny Dykes 18 and 19 as his offensive coordinator, then got the OC job at Miami, was the number one guy they targeted to replace Sonny. And he brought back with him several guys that were here with him as assistants when he was at SW2, which really helped make it a, a smooth transition. He's had the messaging that's a lot like what Coach Dykes had here. He's also hit that transfer portal, which I think Sonny was kind of ahead of the game on a few years ago. He was bringing in the transfers before we had the – you could transfer and play rule in place fully. You still had to appeal. And Rhett's picked up right where he left off there. And they got 25 D1 transfers on this year's team ready to play. So you mentioned Preston Stone at the quarterback spot. But when, and I know only one game, right, for this version of SMU. But what what do you believe is this offense's greatest strength? Boy, that's a good question because it is one game and there's so many new parts. But I think. It's the parts and how many of them they have at wide receiver in particular. Last year, we knew at the start of the year, Rasheed Rice was the guy. He led the nation in receiving yards last year. He was a second round pick in Kansas City because of it. This year, I don't know who the leading receiver is going to be. They had seven of them they played out there at length last Saturday, and I can expect him to continue to play those seven guys. They had the big home run ball to Jordan Hudson uh, for a 67 yard touchdown in his first game at SMU, but they have a lot of different parts they can mix at wide receiver. And then they brought in two transfer running backs, Jalen Knighton, who started, and LJ Johnson, who had a big 67-yard run to set up a late touchdown in the first half, that both of those guys are way different than what they had and gives them a lot more depth at that running back spot. You guys expect to get Wheaton back, I'm assuming, right? Suspended for the first game. And, you know, he's a he's a huge talent. A couple of years ago, there's you know, all of the big names out there in college football were coming after this kid out of high school. As far as I know, he's supposed to play this week. Uh, he got suspended for the opener last week because they do like you to attend class at least occasionally in summer session, you know? <laughs> so, um, and he's a guy we've been waiting on, you know? Like you said, he was uh, one of the top running back recruits a couple of years ago uh, when he went to Alabama, transferred here last year, and uh, took a little time to get up to speed with the offense and then had a few injuries along the way. But when we got to see some flashes of him. They were some pretty exciting flashes from Kamar Wheaton. Now, I I think tight ends can be a weapon, right? You you look at 
some of the biggest names in the National Football League. And then you think about, you know, some of these college teams, right, recently that have had go-to tight ends. What what have you seen from RJ Maryland? Because as I watched, as I went back and watched SMU's opener, some flashes from that guy. Looks like a big athletic guy there at the tight end spot. Uh, absolutely. I mean, last year as a freshman, he was only 217 pounds playing tight end, and he was still really effective, had six touchdowns a year ago. He's added a good 15 pounds this year in muscle after an offseason of training so he can pick up a little more in the physical aspect at tight end especially blocking but uh had led him with five catches the other day against law tech had the touchdown uh high expectations for him since the moment he got here because while he's got good size he can stretch the field a little bit at the tight end spot great hands always like getting guys too with the uh, nfl pedigree because of course Russell Maryland, the former Cowboy, is his father, and a uh, lot, lot of, a uh, lot of excitement for him. I think he can be definitely a difference maker for this offense. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. He came in at two seventeen. Like sitting here thinking how how big he might be in the coming years. Um, yeah. Offensive line, you know, when when I watch this team, it, they really stick out to me as a smart group that is always in the right place. It looks like they communicate really well. I, I've, I've been impressed with those guys. Three returners up front there that have played a ton for SMU. Marcus Bryant, especially at left tackle, has been a two-year starter. And Justin Osborne at right guard has been a three-year starter here. But then uh, a couple of newcomers they brought in. Iron White from Missouri, a transfer at right tackle, ton of starts in his career there at Missouri. And then the left guard is probably the the uh, the newest one of them all. Um, he didn't play a ton at Texas, Logan Parr, but just just took over the job in fall camp to where he won that. And uh, really one of the more solid groups we have seen. Their center, Branson Hickman, also has ton of starts in the last couple of years at the center spot really anchors that line and then they've got a little depth too behind those guys pj williams a transfer from texas a&m who they mixed into a couple of spots on the left side last week and uh they've got caleb johnson a notre dame transfer who's kind of waiting to get in there and jakai clark uh an interior lineman from miami who's had a ton of starts in his career so they actually have some more depth on their offensive line than we've seen in recent years yeah, you you mentioned the power five transfers. You're just going through that O line, and it's yeah. Uh, I mean it, it it is it's impressive what Lashley's been able to do. Now looking at the defensive side of the ball, what really stood out to you about the defense in the opener? Right, what really caught your attention from that group? The strength of the defensive line, the depth of the defensive line too, and again, it's transfers where they've done a lot of it. But uh, Corey Roberson, a former Sooner. Had a pick six in the first half. Uh, Saw at that. Look tackle. at Roberson yeah. getting loose. He looks good, too. Oh. Huh? He looks good, like, physically. He looks like he's in yes. great shape. Yes, very, very good physically. And then uh, they brought in, uh, again, a couple more guys from Miami where Rhett Lashley was before, Elijah Roberts at defensive end, Jordan Miller at defensive tackle. Those guys are going to be huge factors. You know, Miller – has the size that they haven't had. They, they've had Elijah Chapman's been starting for three years on this defensive line, but he's barely six foot tall and he's good, but he's barely six tall. Jordan Miller's six, three playing alongside him at tackle. And then Elijah Roberts on the edge. They have not had a defensive end of his size. He had a couple of sacks in the opener last week. They got pressure largely with their front four. They blitzed early for a couple of sacks, but really, a lot of their seven sacks came with their front four, and they just were consistently able to collapse the pocket against LaTeX. 
What do you think is going to be the key for them defensively um, against Oklahoma? Oklahoma's going to have a really good running attack, but also the passing game is going to come at you in waves. Yeah, you can't let Gabriel go off on him. And, you know, we've we've seen, I don't know how many of the players because they've changed so much, but I've seen a lot of Dylan Gabriel from his UCF days, of course, against us. And I know how dangerous he can be, and they do too, obviously. And uh, certainly I know OU's still trying to determine who that number one guy is at running back, who their number one guy is at receiver, but I know there's a lot of weapons. But they've really got to contain Gabriel. I mean, you, you can't let him have basically what he did the other night, a perfect first half nearly uh against arkansas state they can't allow that to happen i, I think they're going to need to to kind of force the issue with them a little bit too with some pressure you you mentioned that defensive line and, and the depth that that's going to clearly be key when it comes to stopping oklahoma's run game but as i watched the la tech game playing a lot of different bodies at the linebacker spots is is that something you expect to continue in this game, or do you think they settle on two or three inside backers for this one? Uh, I think they'll probably continue that. Roland, of course, they play the four two five, so just the two spots there. But I think they've got four guys, maybe even five, they want to regularly play in there at linebacker. Um, uh, they're two starters. I know this will surprise you. They're transfers <laughs> that came in. <laughs> from Liberty and from Temple, and they both had played a ton of football. But they had a true freshman, Alex Kilgore, who was the talk of camp at linebacker this year uh, out of Katy, Texas. And he came in and bought his fourth snap of college football, had his first career sack. And, uh, I mean, that they had – last season this team had six sacks from the linebacker position. They had three in the first game this year. So I think they're going to continue to roll with four to five guys playing in those two spots. What do you expect Lashley to do in this game to try and – is this going to be sell out, throw everything that you've got to get the win? You know, they've got TCU coming up in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, I'm not suggesting that you you pick one of those games and, and like, ignore the other one. But It kind of sounds like that's what you're suggesting. <laughs> I just – it's it's I'm curious to know like are they gonna are they gonna empty the magazine with Oklahoma and break out you know all kinds of different things offensively because they're really vanilla in week one I I don't know I'm just I'm just curious how you think they're gonna play this thing uh, I would agree with you by the way on the vanilla especially the second half you know they were up thirty one nothing they put nothing on tape mm-hmm. for OU in the second half. I would think there's going to be a few more tricks up the sleeve this week. Um, you know, Rhett, uh, Rhett likes to push the issue. You know, he'll go for fourth downs a lot of times when you're like, what are you doing? And by the way, they convert plenty of them too. But yeah, I think uh, he, I mean, I haven't talked to him yet this week. We'll talk tonight on our uh, weekly show, but I suspect he's ready to let it all hang out there. I mean, you're going to have 80,000 plus there. Uh, big opportunity, obviously, on the heels of the ACC news from last week, too. Yeah, I'd say uh, hopefully I can get one of the coaches to tell me about a few of the tricks they may have, so I'll be ready for them Saturday night. There you go, Rich. Now, last one, we'll let you get out of here, man. The back end of the defense. As I went back and watched some games last year, they can get pretty aggressive with what they want to do from coverage standpoint. Didn't see a ton of that right in the opener. Like you said, kept it very vanilla. What what do you kind of expect the mentality for the back end of the defense to be? What what are you kind of expecting from a from a coverage standpoint? 
I think they've got a lot more confidence, especially out on the edges with the two new corners that they brought in, Charles Woods and Chris Meganson, guys who, again, have played a ton of college football elsewhere. And I think there's a lot more confidence that they can man up on the outside with those guys. They have veteran safeties. Two of them have been here. And then they brought in Jonathan McGill from Stanford, who was a team captain there, and he's already a team captain here. And then one guy uh, who really surprised us on Saturday is Isaiah Wachovia. He's a returning player who really hadn't done a whole lot here. In SMU, every year they pick somebody to honor with the number 23. It was the number that was worn by Jerry Levias in the 60s, who was the first African-American scholarship player in the Southwest Conference. And I think a few of us were almost surprised Isaiah was the guy who got it. Boy, he laid the wood on Saturday. He had six tackles to lead the team. Half of them were probably the three biggest hits of the day. So we saw a lot more physicality there in the center of that defense with the safeties. But I think that the coverage ability on the edges is where they have really improved that secondary this season. Rich, you got anything else, Ted? No, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I am too. Don't yeah, get about well, 25 years since I've been up there for a game. So I bet the place looks a little different. Wow. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Well, press box is still. <laughs> press That's... box the exact same really all right <laughs> yeah, so uh <laughs> prepare mentally for that rich you're the man hey thanks for the time and we'll see you on saturday buddy okay thanks guys transfers as far as the eyes can see ted transfers everywhere uh, that's two weeks in a row, right? And it's uh, it's going to continue to be like that. That's that's new college football. I'm just excited to see uh, uh, Rich Phillips whenever he goes in the time capsule into the uh, OU press box, and it's the exact same as whenever he's there 25 years ago. He's going to go, wow, they weren't lying. Nothing's changed. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, let's preview the biggest games of week two in college football. But first, John Vance Auto Group has been serving Oklahomans for 40 years. Family owned and operated. They have nine full service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie. No matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way, which is why they have their lifetime loyalty program. And here's how it works. You buy a newer used car from them, and then all you have to do is get all of the manufacturer-recommended maintenance done at the Vance dealership. And if something goes wrong with the components of your engine, transmission, drive, axle, or transfer unit, they will cover the repair costs. It's a great deal. You can browse their entire inventory or find the John Vance dealership near you at Vance Auto Group. Com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And don't forget to head to the garage for hand smash patties, butter toasted buns, and ice cold beer. The food is fantastic. They've got great TVs all over the place, so it's the perfect spot to watch any big game. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. Week two, 
in college football. Only one game to start with. Number 11, Texas, heading down to Tuscaloosa to take on number three, Alabama. Currently, Bama is a seven-point favorite. This game will be 6 p.m. on ESPN. Ted, I think this is the, it starts with the simple question. Do we think Quinn Ewers has what it takes to go down and beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa? No. That's where I'm at as well. That's <laughs> I mean, where I'm at with it. That, and, have, that have done it are like Manziel, Cam Newton, Joe Burrow. I mean, the list is pretty pretty crazy of uh, the who's who of quarterbacks. And you know, now, I'm I'm really excited to watch this football game because I'm interested to see what yours and that Texas team are made of on Saturday night. Now, going back and watching their opener against Rice, yours got hit. Way too much, man. I mean, and he had to scramble way too much. Texas better, they better solve those issues, man. And here's the thing about yours. He he is not a confident guy, naturally. I don't think he's a confident guy. I think he tiptoes into the game. And if he has success early, I think he builds on it. But if he doesn't, it's like he never gets out of the funk. And against Rice, while he made some nice throws, uh, he struggled a lot early. And he does, he just flat out doesn't trust the offensive line. And his eyes are always down looking at the rush. They're not looking downfield. And that is big trouble at quarterback. It's He looks so tentative out there. It's almost shocking. For a second-year starter, you felt like you've – I thought in week one we we're going to see a different guy that was settled in, confident, but I it it was a weird start to the season for him. It, it was, and like the bulk of his passing yards came on bubbles, screens, and one pop pass that was uncovered that they schemed up to JT Sanders. His deep ball accuracy continues to be an issue. Now, Bama... They've got some starters in the secondary that got banged up in their opener. So if you're Ewers in that group of wide receivers, right? A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, you, you've got to go win. And, but Ewers got to get you, he's got to get you the football. Mm-hmm. You got to take advantage of those opportunities if you're Texas. And I, I liked what I saw from Texas's defensive line in the opener. I know it's Rice. I get it. Tavondre Sweat was wrecking everything, man. That guy was a problem. He's a big dude. And I am, you know, that that Texas defensive line, they held up really well last year when they played Bama. And I'm excited to watch the battle between that Bama O-line and this Texas defensive front. I, yeah. I, I think Texas' front seven is legit, man. But you can be really legit and not contain a guy like Jalen Milrow. Whoa. Yeah. I mean... Can they prevent him from wrecking the game with his legs? Right now, he had some huge plays in the passing game in their opener, but the legs, like his ability to essentially turn into a giant running back, that's got to that's got to scare Pete Kwiatkowski and that defensive staff. Like, oh my gosh, he's a physical dude. Now he's 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 a big physical runner. He's almost 6'3", 
pounds or so, 235, runs really well. You're right. He's like a big uh, running back, and he's a 4-4 guy. <laughs> so uh, he can absolutely fly. I, yeah, I think that's the thing is I, I, they're probably going to try and wear them out with a lot of quarterback run, run some stuff on the perimeter, try and get to the edges and get away from the, the teeth of Texas's defensive line and uh, and make those guys go more lateral. And then, like you said, try and take some opportunities in one-on-one. Because if they're going to be hitting you with the quarterback run game, and I expect there to be a lot of it, you you cannot, as a defense, get away. You, you have to dedicate more guys to the run. You're just going to have to be on an island more out, out on the corners. And, you know, in the slot, you're not going to have as much help. So that's what's going to make it really difficult. Can their secondary cover some of those great athletes down the field? Because you'll get a ton of quarterback run, and then they're going to play axe or play action, max pro, and it's going to be hard to get pressure, and he's going to let it fly whenever they got one-on-one. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting formula. It's yeah, big, ball, that. big boy football, matchup football. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, you know, can, can Texas's secondary – Right? Can they make some plays on the football when they do try to push it down the field? I was pretty impressed. He wasn't perfect, but Milrose deep ball accuracy and their opener, dude was letting it fly, man. I mean, it's clear he's got a gifted arm as well. So it is going to be a hostile environment there in Tuscaloosa. I'm interested in how Ewers in particular handles that. I'm kind of expecting a lower scoring game, like almost like an NFL style type of game. But I know this, this game feels big for Sarkeesian, right? I feel like he's building that roster the proper way. It does seem like he's improving the culture there, but I mean, this is, this is the ultimate measuring stick game for that program. And if you go down there and get your ass kicked, the same old conversations start happening again, right? So it's it's it, it feels for big for yours as well. Like it just this feels very big for Texas. It does, and unfortunately for them, they aren't. They're getting an angry Alabama team. I think that you know, as disrespected as you could be at being number three in the country, that's what you're going to get. Um, Saban has had a very interesting feel about him with the media recently. Um, I, that fan base is probably tired of hearing about how Texas had him beat in Austin last year. I, I, there's a chance that Texas is going into a hornet's nest down there. And that's probably most, that's what I think is going to happen. I'm curious to see what happens at quarterback. Cause I don't think you were going to respond well playing in in that atmosphere i just don't think he's a competent guy what do they do if they pull him out of the game malik murphy big athlete gets some quarterback run going they go to arch manny i don't know i mean that's to me that's a fascinating thing to see i'll tell you i've had some people down there that are close to that program tell me that arch runs better than malik murphy he's he's a good looking athlete yeah which is so i i don't know but all i know is that Texas O-line, who came into this season with a lot of hype, right? Now, Kelvin Banks is a stud. Right? He won the problem against Rice. If they're leaky the way that they were leaky against Rice, 
Ewers may not finish the game, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's just the truth. Because those uh, Bama's got creatures on the D line. Yeah. And if he's getting hammered by those guys, Ewers is not the biggest guy in the world. No. Nope. So I. He's actually very small. Like. He's not. He's not just not a big quarterback. He's an under. Was he 190, 195? Yeah, right he's now? not a thick guy. Yeah. So, I like Bama. I think I may like him by double digits. I agree. But I think it's one of those where it, it, I think if Bama jumps on him early, look snowball, out. snowball effect. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it too. All right, let's get to the next game. Number 23, Texas A&M traveling down to Miami to take on the Hurricane. A&M currently a four-and-a-half-point favorite. This will be a 2.30 kick on ABC. Ted, I'm just going to throw something out there. Am I a crazy person to think that Bobby Petrito, Bobby Petrito has Texas A&M playing explosive, competent offense after what I saw in their opener? Um, you're not crazy, but I, I'm not, I'm just, I, I'll never be sold on, on Texas A&M until I see it. And, you know, Miami, I don't think they're great. Um, someone's got to win this one. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it goes. I mean, I, Texas A&M is by far the more talented roster. I, I just don't know how good. Wegman is at quarterback. I, I know he's got a – he was really highly recruited. He's done some really good things at times for them. But this should be this should be a fairly high-level game for him. And I, I think it's a – if Texas A&M can't go down there and beat Miami, then they've still done nothing but tread water at that program, right? I mean – I completely agree. That's why – I view it as a measuring stick game for both teams. Yeah. Right? Because, like you mentioned, A&M, you look at the 24-7 sports talent composite, they're the four, fourth most talented roster in the country from a recruiting standpoint. And if this thing is is finally headed in the right direction, they should go down and win this game, no problem. But... It, and it'll feel like a pretty big failure if A&M doesn't go down there and win. But on the other side, it's also, it feels like a, like, where is this thing going, right? What direction is this thing headed in for Mario Cristobal in Miami? Right, you got to show progress in year two. Tyler Van Dyke's a talented quarterback, right? I saw a trademark, trademark, Tyler Van Dyme. <laughs> well, let's Not. see it, man. Yeah. Let's see it. They, they've got speed at the skill spots. They've added some good pieces along the offensive line and defensive line since Mario's gotten there. Now, clearly, it'd be huge for them to win the game, but they absolutely have to come out and be competitive. If they get blown off the field by A&M, people are, people are going to start wondering if anyone can get Miami right, yeah. right? Because Cristobal's the guy for it. So I, I think it's a big game for both teams. For completely different reasons. I agree. I, I agree. Cristobal, I think he's done good stuff there. He's recruited well. You know, he's a he's a line of scrimmage coach, you know, so expect Miami to make big strides there. Year two for them. 
you know, A&M is – they've got a huge jump start on what Cristobal and Miami have and what they're trying to do right now. That's why it's – you know, it's a big game for Miami to prove that they've done something and they're covering ground. But really, it's Texas A&M. It's like if you are as talented as you are now and you still can't go on the road and beat a, a fringe top 25 team that's really in the infancy, if they're rebuild like Miami, then what are we even doing? I mean, you, you as a Texas A&M fan, this is one of those that you walk away from really mad if you don't win. Yeah, and even you see the four-and-a-half-point spread and you're like, what the hell? we can't even we're we're not even we're not even a touchdown favorite against the team that's rebuilding but i do i think a&m has some studs at the skill spots right i i think they got some really good backs evan stewart i think is going to be one of the most productive wide receivers in the country and wegman looked good in their opener i mean dude was slinging it noah thomas is like six six and was just catching jump balls on everyone Anaya Smith is just a blur out there. They got weapons. So we'll we'll see if those guys end up making some big plays in this one. One other factor this game, 330 local kickoff in Miami. Woo. Humidity. Amy. Yeah. Humidity tends to uh make the strongest man weak. So we'll see. We'll see what, what type of factor is now. Texas A&M should be a much deeper football team, but I and I don't think Hard Rock Stadium is some big home field advantage for the Hurricane, but I I don't I wonder if that'll be a factor. Remember, this was a this was a one score game a year ago in College Station between these two teams. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, it's it's a good one, man. I'm excited. There's there's some good football games this weekend. Yeah. Any other games interest you? Right. Normally we try to pick three, right? To preview. We've got we've, we've got, got some, some bounce interesting back games I'm interested in. Yeah, there's some bounce back, right? We've got we've got Oregon at Texas Tech. We've got Utah at Baylor, right? Those are I don't love the Big 12 teams' chances in those. No. Oklahoma State going to Arizona State, right? That's Gunner Gundy, the guy for the Cowboys, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to see what happens at quarterback there. I mean coming away most people seem to think that that he's their best option at quarterback and yeah i i don't know it, it seemed like a a weird start to the season for oklahoma state and they're gonna have to continue they got to get better on on the offensive line arizona state looked good in their opener and that's going to be a pissed off team right? yeah and it, it feels like they're going to channel that in a good direction kenny dillingham um not a not a an ideal spot for him to be in as a young coach there, but I, that's a dangerous one for Oklahoma State. I'm I'm probably leaning Arizona State right now. Oh wow, that and would be Utah and uh, Oregon. I think are both going to drum Baylor and Texas Tech. Yeah, right. Shaping out for Baylor with the MCL. That'll be that. That's a dangerous spot for Texas Tech. Now it's also a tremendous opportunity. Yeah, it is. Right to kind of erase what everyone's saying about you after uh, after going up to Laramie and getting beat. But I, I think those are both interesting. I think Wisconsin at Washington State is a sneaky game. Yep. Mordecai wasn't great in their opener, but my God, can they run the football? <laughs> so 
I, I think that one's going to be a lot of fun. And Washington State fans, they just have to be – I mean, everyone has a landing spot but them. Like, I think they, they're just going to channel all their frustration and passion into screaming at Wisconsin during this football game. Yeah, if, if uh, you've got to you got to take some frustration out on the Big Ten for not being a part of it, right? And yeah, uh, they're gonna have the Washington State's a good team, though, man. Um, both Washington State and Oregon State are both gonna be good this year, which yeah. is <laughs> Oregon State's ranked ahead of OU. I know, I know, and boy, uh, oh, Uyunga Lale looked pretty good out there, and you know. I know it's probably not like if I were him in his shoes, he's a much better guy than I am. Um, he's probably upset that Clemson lost for his old teammates. But if I was him, I'd be like, uh, yeah, I wasn't so bad now, was I? Right? Uh, it's fascinating. Fun yeah. week, though, man. There's some good stuff. The I, And I did not expect to feel this way coming into the season. But the game, other than – you know, other than Texas at Bama, I think the other game I'm most intrigued by is Nebraska at Colorado. Number 22, Colorado, excuse me. Mm. Mm. They're already ranked, man. And it's it's hard to argue with with how good that offense looked against TCU, but feels like kind of a tricky spot for the Buffaloes. So much, so much attention on that team right now. And this game, I feel like coming into the season, all the pressure was going to be on Nebraska in this game, right? Can Matt Rule get it right? Like, hey, Dion, he did this big roster flip. He needs some time. And all of a sudden, you look at Colorado, they're favored in this football game. So Nebraska's kind of coming in there, I don't know, with nothing to lose, especially they lost in such a painful fashion. <laughs> against Minnesota last week, right? Another one score loss where it feels like they gave it away in the fourth quarter. Oh. But man, this, I think this is going to be a really good football game. I know. And I just, I can't imagine. It's going to be the best atmosphere Colorado has had at a football game. in I don't know, 30 years. Right, I mean, I know they they had some runs where they were really good there in the early two thousands, um, but this just feels different, right? To go on the road and get that big time win on national TV. Now you're ranked inside the top twenty five, which how who knows how long it's been a decade since they've been ranked in the top twenty five, and you got a a big name coming to town, old rival, like that should be that should be an awesome atmosphere what time is that kick do you know i believe that's it's big fox big noon yeah yeah so 11 a.m central which sucks for them but still it's going to be an awesome atmosphere it's awesome for us because we're going to get to watch it exactly which is great now when i look at that game you know sometimes when you don't really know how a game's going to go you kind of think hey head coach or quarterback right i don't think there's any doubt in my mind colorado's got the advantage of quarterback yeah. I mean, Shadur yeah. Sanders was awesome in that TCU game. And Jeff Sims was was not. <laughs> right. And then you look at, you know, Matt Matt Rule's got a better resume than Coach Prime, but at this at this point, it's pretty hard to doubt Deion Sanders and what he can do from a coaching perspective, right? Yep. So uh, yeah. 
as I thought about this one, I think Nebraska needs to take them in the deep water, man. They need to turn this thing into a bar fight. It cannot be a track meet. If they if they play a track meet with Colorado, they're going to lose. They don't have a Travis Hunter on their team. <laughs> I mean, they just don't. But they do have experience. They got some old dudes on that o, those O-lines, that O-line and that D-line. You got to lean on the running game, control the clock, control the pace. Slow it way down. Yep. Slow it way down, make Colorado uncomfortable, make the crowd uncomfortable. Right? And I do expect Nebraska's defense to be able to mitigate some of the explosive plays that TCU gave up. Right? Frustrate Sanders. Like, as big as they – as good as they did and as big as he was in week one against TCU scoring a bunch of points, that's going to be the expectation. If you could keep a cap on that, it may frustrate them and they try and do something that, you know, maybe you'd take advantage of. They get too risky, too aggressive. Yeah, and when you think of it just for Matt Rule, uh, Deion Sanders went and got his marquee win. What an opportunity for Matt Rule now, all of a sudden, like you go beat Colorado. It's no longer, oh, you know, that's a nice, it's it's a big deal if you go win that game. It's a marquee win in year one. And that cannot be lost on him, right? He knows what that'll mean to Nebraska fans, the buy-in that it'll create for his players. So, all of a sudden, there's a lot of layers to this football game. Yeah. Yeah. I it, It's maybe – I'm sure Colorado is like, – they don't really need the launching pad, right? T, the TCU win kind of solidified that, and maybe it doesn't even necessarily matter what the rest of the season results look like. You know, they're going to continue to gather eyes, but you've already gotten people off your back with the – like they can't really throw that the way you're doing things is wrong at them anymore. So pressure's kind of off in that regard, but I know they want more, but Nebraska, they need a launching pad, man. And this is like the perfect game because you're going on the road and I'm I'm still not necessarily sure how good Colorado actually is, if that makes sense. Like they looked great in their game against TCU. But, you know, I, there's those first games can be difficult for a lot of different reasons. I, I'm still not totally sold that they are by where people all of a sudden think they are, but we'll see. If if they can protect Sanders, they're going to have more speed. Oh, yeah. They're going to have more speed, but got to protect him. I don't expect them to have much going in the running game. They didn't do much in the running game against TCU. It didn't matter that much. So all I really care about is how many snaps is Travis Hunter going to play? Is he he can't play more than 129 like he did last week? That was insane. What a, I don't know. What a complete stud, by the he way. Is. I mean, my goodness. He is. He he is a stud. And if he plays that many snaps again. It continues to ball out the way that he he did in week one. Like, you just got to start talking about uh, a Heisman candidate. Now they're scheduled. It's going to be really tough year on them. Right? It's not going to get much easier throughout. It's going to be hard, but the dude can do everything, man. He's a fascinating prospect. Yeah, that's going to be a fun game. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first. 
Do you have difficulty sitting for long periods of time or can't lay on your side due to pain? Well, it's a hip thing, and the only person to go see is Dr. Brandon Johnson at the Hip Clinic in Oklahoma City. No matter your age, the Hip Clinic has the experience and knowledge to help ease your hip pain and preserve your hip joint. Don't let the pain hold you back any longer. Don't just accept a hip replacement. Call the Hip Clinic today at 844-KEEP-HIP or visit thehipclinicokc.com. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA, OSSAA athletics, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org financial aid is available as always ted kicks off who do you have as your winner of the week duke how about that w on monday night our buddy dusty Dvorak on the call that was a uh that was a fun game to watch now now if you're a clemson fan that was a miserable game to watch uh but duke man they they look like the better football team now, I know Clemson made a lot of horribly timed turnover errors and and all that, but it looked like Duke was the better football team. It did not look like a fluky win by Duke at all. Um, Clemson, a lot of the same type of struggles we saw a year ago. Klubnik, inconsistent. Um you know he's he's got some really good ability, but he he makes a lot of mistakes. So that was a huge win for Duke. Had Coach Steve Spurrier there, like they were celebrating. I think they won a conference championship, and it was one of the reunions for that. Had a bunch of those guys there. Uh, awesome moment. Storm the uh, storm the field. Cost their school some money, but who cares? It was uh, worthy of the celebration. There is. There's so much to unpack from that game, but and Tom Luganville talked about it on the broadcast. The craziest thing was that like Clemson didn't look faster than Duke. No. Which you got to give Mike Elko chasing down that guy on that horrible fumble down going in the end zone. Yeah, that guy he number two for that. Duke, the corner that got hawked by by Klebnik, he's going to get so much shit from the guys in his room. Oh my gosh. But other than that, that, man, I thought Duke was physical. I thought that they looked pretty dang fast at the skill spots and they had the better quarterback. Right. I, I really liked what I saw from Riley Leonard. That was, that was shocking. Right. I, I liked Duke to cover the spread, but to win in that fashion, I mean, that's got to have Dabo question everything he stands for, man. That was, especially the way that it ended. Like, we all know, hey, Clemson defensive line, right? You're not going to run it on him. Not only did Duke run it on him, they ran it on him when Clemson knew they were going to run it. Line it up. Here we go. This is wild, man. This is wild. It's, there's a lot of people out there that are starting to speculate that it's the uh it was fun while it lasted with Clemson, but you know, things are uh things are coming to an end there. So 
I don't know. I think that's a bit premature. They still have a pretty good roster. They're still recruiting well. But they got to get something figured out, man. It it changes things whenever you're not so sure what you got at quarterback, right? Well, I was I was under the impression that Dabo hired Garrett Riley to come in and run his stuff. I did not realize that Dabo was taking the Saban approach to that, where he was like, no, 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 we brought him in to run Clemson's offense. If I would have known that before the season started, and maybe I just maybe it was reported on and I just missed it. That that was a massive red flag when I heard that before that football game. I was like, wait, what now? Well, and the offense, I mean, it was a little better. You you can't turn the ball over inside the 10-yard line going in, right? You're taking points off the board, but just let Garrett Riley run his stuff. Well, here, so, so I didn't hear the comment, and you heard it. It was pregame. I thought it was postgame. You heard it. I heard it. I, I just saw it on Twitter. So I don't know. Okay. Well, I, I wonder if it's Dabo trying to shoulder some of the responsibility because I'm sure they know they can tell. I doubt they went into Duke thinking, hey, we got one of the best offenses in the country. This is going to be amazing. They probably are pretty aware of their weaknesses, right? And I wonder if that's him trying to spread some of the blame around instead of it all end up being pointed directly at Garrett Riley. But I don't know. That's Maybe that's the optimistic view of it there. Maybe he did come in there to run uh, Clemson's offense. Don't know. Well, Dabo in – they got to start using the portal or they're not going to win national titles anymore. Yeah. I mean, you look at what Florida state looked like against LSU, all those transfer guys that are massive impact players for them. Uh, Keon Coleman balled out on offense, right? He came from Michigan state, Jared versus their best player on defense. He came from Albany. He has Dabo has refused to adjust what he does and they're going to fall behind from the elite of the elite as a result of that. So until that changes, I, I, I don't think Clemson is going to be like a legit can title title contender. It's kind of backed himself into a corner on it too. Yeah. Right. He's going to have to admit defeat. And that's, Hey, if, if that's all you have to do, is admit defeat and start doing something that you didn't do before and know that it's going to work or know it's going to help you, then that's that's a pretty easy path, right? But that getting that started by admitting the defeat is that's the tough part. That's how you get the ball rolling. And uh, I, sometimes people aren't willing to do that. Let's see how stubborn he is. You you got to be willing to dip into the portal and. Got to get that NIL situation figured out to get those yep. guys out of the portal. Yep. He's right. he's going to have to swallow his pride if he want to yep. get if he wants to get that program back to what they what they were doing when they were winning national titles. I agree. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? I had to go with the Chiefs, the uh Travis Kelsey news uh with the knee and you know just uh 
a weird situation there, happened to practice. Now, you know knee injuries. They were saying, well, we don't think it's all that bad, but we they have to wait for the swelling to go down to do the x-ray or the MRI. That sounds pretty bad. I So when I blew my knee out, right, and mine was what, ACL, MCL, partial PCL, like my knee exploded essentially. My knee didn't really swell. So the fact that his is swollen up, I, usually I guess, not a good sign. I guess like he, they said he hyperextended. I guess you could like tear a bursa sack or something on the back of it and it swells yeah. up real big. And that's not necessarily uh, that bad. But I, I don't know. I was whenever I saw they hyperextended it, I was like, oh, okay. But then I read that he, he, they can't do the MRI until the swelling's down. I was like, well, that sounds like it could be a little bit more. And he's a huge part of that offense, you know, with some of the pieces that they've had to replace and, and everything. I, I'm curious to see how that goes. Needless to say, I think the, um, the opener is going to be awesome against the Lions. That's going to be cool. But I, they got a lot of time. They'll be fine. I'm just I'm wondering how Kelsey's going to be down the stretch for the Chiefs. Not good news right out of the gate. And I feel bad for people that had their fantasy draft too early. And those uh those early Travis Kelsey takers are going to be upset. Yeah. I I'm hoping Kelsey back gets back quickly because he's I mean, he's so fun to watch. Man, he's just so fun to watch. He's you can call him a tight end. He he's their best. He's their best weapon. That's what he is. Yeah. Right. Especially you factor in the chemistry that him and Mahomes had. But God, they're gonna they're possibly without Kelsey and Jones, right? Yeah. Now, if Kelsey can't go, what an opportunity for the belldozer to catch some balls. Let's go, brother. Awesome. He'll probably just be blocking people. But red zone. Watch out now. Andy Reid will be sneaky, sneaky. Get the ball to 81. Come on, Andy Reid. Let's do it. Hey, if I know Blake Bell, when he gets a when he gets a little bit of a window of opportunity, he usually knocks it out of the park. Yes, sir. All right. Let's get to my winner and loser of the week. But first, elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand That'll give you all the power you need so you can take your tailgate to the next level. They also got the top-of-the-line heaters to keep you warm during the cold tailgates later in the season. They're Oklahoma-owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405-495-1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L supply.com. And First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. Come on, people. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. Head to opolisclothing.com for our podcast merchandise and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. 
That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. For my winner of the week, thought about going with Ben Shelton. You watch any of that? Uh, No. The tennis? The tennis was good. I saw some highlights. Couple, uh, watched a lot of it. And man, now I like Tiafo a lot, right? Just because I've watched some of the Netflix, it's called like Breakpoint, right? It's kind of like the drive to survive, but for tennis on Netflix. And he's, he's a really likable dude, but it's Ben Shelton guy. It's like 20 years old, entertaining as hell to watch play tennis. My goodness. Serves the ball like 140 miles an hour. Does a bunch of screaming and yelling. One of the sweatiest guys I've ever seen. I mean, dude was just sweating all over the place, but I'm excited. I think he's got, I think he's got Jokovic on Friday in the semifinal. I mean, I can't wait. He's American. Let's go. Yeah. Hey, that's, uh, I'm down for that. The tennis has been on. That's been good. I saw what some of the jets guys went up there to, to one of the matches. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but that, that was fun to watch and I'm, I'm rooting for that guy, but Winner of the week, only one choice. NFL, it's back, baby. It's coming. I'll be sitting on the couch Sunday, stress-free, soaking it in, watching the best football players on planet Earth. And you look at the slate, some intriguing football games. You mentioned the opener, right? Lions at Chiefs on Thursday night. A lot of love for the Lions heading into the season, and it's Patrick Mahomes, right? It's must-see TV. We'll see about Kelsey, but it's Mahomes. Got to watch. Excited to watch Baker. And the Bucks take on Minnesota, right? You got Bengals at Browns. I, I'm I'm interested to see how Burrow looks, but also, is Deshaun Watson good, or is he just bad now? I don't know. I, it's interesting that with all the off season, off the field stuff, I kind of hope he's just bad now. I but, know. I I somehow have found myself being a Bengals fan as odd as that is like pulling up for the Bengals and Joe Burrow dude he he makes the Bengals so cool I know he's he awesome does. they're fun to watch um you know head coach from Norman mix in there like it's they're a fun team to watch Joe Burrow is he's exciting now I hope he's all right hope, I mean he's he's back he's playing I hope there's no lingering effects there and he doesn't re-injure that thing because that changes things a lot for them. But gosh, he and Jamar Chase are just incredible little matchup we're doing. Yeah. You also got the Eagles at New England. Honoring Brady, your guy. Will not be surprised if Mac Jones struggles and they they chant, We want Brady <laughs> there at Gillette. Pick him up on a one-day contract. Think he may be on the active roster just for fun. That yeah. would be awesome, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I would not be shocked. You got Green Bay at Chicago, right? Can Justin Fields take a step? Is Jordan Love any good? Dude, the the NFC North is is it's so weird without Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay, isn't it? Right. It's different. Then Sunday night football, you're getting Dallas at the Giants. Then Monday night football, you're getting Buffalo at the Jets, which can Buffalo just kill all the Jets buzz, right? That will be uh that'll be a, that's going to be an awesome. Not a great matchup to start off, but no. Uh that's that's going to be good. Are they finally not doing the dumbass two Monday night football games? 
Maybe they are, and I just messed it up. No, I think they they're only. Like I think it's West only Coast one. City. Okay, good. Let me look. I've only got one. Monday, September eleventh. So, I, as far I I only see one on the ESPN app. Maybe it's messed up, but that's what I've got. That's that's good. That's how it should be. They want they want all the eyeballs on that Buffalo and uh, Jets game. Which, what an opener! Like that's. I don't know. You kind of almost don't want that as an opener. It, I don't know if it's necessarily fair for the for the division to have it right out of the gate before teams can settle in a little bit because like that could this game one of the season could divide uh, decide the entire thing. Yeah, and it's on nine eleven. Yeah, in New York or awesome. I guess New Jersey, but that's that's going to be. I'm sure there's going to be some cool stuff there. All right, for my loser of the week. I'm going with George Klyavkov and the Pac-12 leadership. Throw Larry Scott in there as well. Because I was thinking about last weekend in college football. Pac-12 didn't lose a game, right? 12-0. They're 13-0 on the season, right? Because USC's already 2-0. Now you think about the highlights. Colorado's went over TCU. Utah's went over Florida. Uh, Caleb Williams and USC looked awesome. Michael Penix and Washington looked fantastic. Both of those guys. Figured a factor into the Heisman Trophy along with Bo Nix there at Oregon. They scored a million. Cal. Cal scored 58 on North Texas. It's the first time, Ted, since 1932 that every team in the Pac-12 won their opener. The Pac-12 is going to be amazing this year. It's quite possibly the most interesting conference in all of college football with the way that it looks like it could shake out. And it's a constant reminder of how the conference's leadership mismanaged this entire situation. I mean, it's just, it's just that it's just lingering over this entire season for the Pac-12. God, they have to be just miserable watching how much fun that that league is going to be this year, knowing that it's about to die. They're they're uh lately their rum drums of their conference are excellent including one that is now a national story and maybe getting more attention than anyone else out there the level of quarterback play it, there may be this may be the greatest quarterback talent assembled in one conference at one time ever at least 10 of the 12 have found landing spots in new conferences <laughs> Which makes it even worse, right? Conferences saw the value of those teams, right? Networks saw the value of those teams. Gone. Just gobbled up. And the leadership just somehow couldn't couldn't keep it together. Then they couldn't get a TV deal done. I just... Hey, I mean, I'm with you. I blame leadership. But also think about the people that you're leading. How thankful were the... uh, the folks coming to the big 12 for getting that opportunity. Right. Yeah. Some of the comments and stuff. It's like, I can, I can kind of imagine why it was difficult to get everyone uh, together and on the same page there in the pac 12. Yeah. There's that. There's no doubt, but they can feel even more pain this weekend. Right. Cause they got a chance to flex this weekend. Utah at Baylor, Nebraska, at Colorado, right. Oregon's going to tech. Washington State gets Wisconsin at home. Like 
Arizona goes to Mississippi State. Cal plays Auburn. I mean, Oklahoma State, they're going to Arizona State. What an opportunity for the Sun Devils. Like, we could come out of this these first two weekends in college football going, are we sure the Pac-12 isn't the deepest conference in college football? And it will just add to the misery that the fact that this thing is dying. Wait, can we bring it back together? Can we get the band back together? Is it too late? Is it the too late? The contract's still good. Yeah. yeah no, it's but... wild, though, man. I I love the uh, Utah about to show show everyone what's what's coming to town. K-State West is coming to town, baby. Yeah. I, I do not like Baylor's chances in that game. No, I don't either. But we'll see. Maybe the Pac-12, if they have another undefeated weekend, boy, they're going to be the talk of college football. But just yeah, it's, it's dying. It's the last year, and you just look at it like, man, there's some really good football at this conference. Why are they letting it break up? <laughs> On that note, episode 350 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Sunday. Obviously, we'll be recapping OUSMU. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have an awesome rest of your week. Enjoy the game on Saturday. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more.